Uh, hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning. And today my guest is Joe Siaby, who is an Alexander Technique teacher. He lives in Burford, Oxford, Oxfordshire. He also is a resident uh, Alexander Technique teacher at the Oxford School of Drama. And he teaches uh, at the Alexander's uh, Studio Training Course in Southwest London. Um, Joe has has a long-standing interest in cycling. He even raced for a while, and for many years, cycling has been his primary mode of transportation. And we're going to talk today about how the Alexander Technique can be useful for cyclists. Joe, welcome to the show. Hi. Joe, could you begin by giving our listeners a short description of the Alexander Technique? Sure. Um, well, these days, if I'm asked, I, I tend to say it's a very simple means of letting go or removing the obstacles that interfere with your natural functioning, health, and well-being. Okay. And, of course, cycling... Um, you know, I haven't done a lot of cycling in, in quite a few years, but when I did, um, one of the things that struck me about it in, in relation to the Alexander Technique was that there is a strong tendency for bicyclists or cyclists to pull their heads back and down on their neck in order Absolutely. to see what's in front of them, because typically they're leaning forward from the seat. Mm. And um, for those listeners who are not familiar with it, uh, the Alexander Technique puts a lot of emphasis on the head-neck upper body relationship. And generally, we're not real keen on people pulling their heads back and down on their <laughs> neck because that tends to uh, set up a whole uh, train of tension through the body. So I, I'd like to begin by asking you about that. How 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 do you, when you're working with a cyclist, how do you deal with that issue? Well, obviously, pulling the head back is a is a big big problem um, on bicycles because people tend to be quite prone, that is, leaning forwards a long way, and they do feel it's necessary. Um, and it becomes a strong habit to pull their head back, as you say, to see where they're going. And one of the first things I try to show cyclists is that it actually is possible to look up and to look forwards without stiffening the neck. So there is the possibility of having the head um, orientated backwards on the on the neck, so to speak, but without pulling it back and without stiffening the neck. You know, for instance, if you're in the upright, you can look up at the sky or the ceiling without necessarily stiffening your neck. Right. So it's a distinction between simply moving your head back in order to look forward, but without a kind of a, a reflexive extra pull, that sort of thing, right? Exactly, that... without without causing a generalized stiffening through the whole body, because, you know, as, as you know, any uh, excess tension anywhere in the body isn't confined to that area. It causes a generalized tightening and stiffening, and that's what we want to avoid. Having said that, um, 
a lot of cyclists do tend to be pitched too far forwards on the bicycle and to give them the best chance of being able to cycle without stiffening their neck I often make adjustments to their bike to get them into a slightly more upright position. But I would think that there's a a bit of a trade-off between um, aerodynamics and uh, absolutely, and that you know because that is why they lean so far forward, right? Yes, that that, absolutely. If you're working with competitive cyclists, then you can't um, you can't really change their position because they don't want to lose that aerodynamic efficiency and there's no getting round the fact that uh, wind resistance is the biggest factor in terms of how fast you can go on a bike but so but so for people who but for people who are bike riding as a means of transportation particularly in an urban environment i could see a lot of advantages to being more upright Even apart from the head and neck thing, because you want to see as much as you can to avoid dangers. You do. You want to be able to see and you want other people to see you. Yes. Uh And being more upright. Plus, um, being very prone, being bent forwards, obviously is going to interfere with your breathing as well. So you um, you can get a lot across to even competitive cyclists, the fact that the one thing they don't want to interfere with is their breathing efficiency. And mm, so, okay, so yeah, right. if you can demonstrate to them that stiffening their neck tends to interfere with their breathing as well, then they'll be pretty keen on not, not stiffening their neck. Mm-hmm. So when, when, when particularly a competitive uh, cycler comes to you for lessons or even just a regular cyclist, do you tend to work with them on this issue of uh, tilting their head backwards without straining themselves. Do you tend to work with them in your studio first before they they get on the bike? How how do you approach that? No, normally, I would um, when anybody comes to me, I would work with them first off the bike just mm-hmm. to get a just to get a sense of um, what's going on in them. Um, but pretty quickly I'll move onto the bike as well because that that's their primary motivation. That's why they've come. But I'll also give them things to practice off the bike um, when they when they go home as well as on the bike. So it's a bit of both really, but certainly initially I'll always work off the bike with them and try to give them an experience of being able to tilt the head back on the top of the spine without stiffening the neck and to show them that actually they've got quite a quite a large range of movement with the eyes and the head combined that allows them to look up and forwards without necessarily having to pull back hmm. and, sti- and stiffen the neck. I could imagine that um, having a stationary bike would be a great a great option to to help someone with this too right yes i mean uh, i i have a i have a station oh excellent so you you would put them on your stationary bike at at some point because yes. it's easier for you to 
Obviously, if you want to do hands-on work, it's going to be a lot easier if they're not. It is. I mean, I've got. I, I live on a farm, so we've got quite a large farmyard, and I can I can watch them cycle around, and I can run after them. But right. It's a lot. You can't get your hands on them. That's the it's thing. going to be tough, isn't it? It's yeah. Going be, it's going to be tough. So yeah, I have a stationary bike which is um, actually on rollers, and so uh, I can put them on that. The front wheel supported use that on the rollers and eventually what we work towards is getting their own bike onto the rollers rather than my specialized one get them their own bike onto the rollers and if we work along enough they can put their own bike with no other supporting mechanism so it's a freestanding operation uh, with the bike and they get a whole sense of balance and everything else on that well it's interesting that you mentioned balance i i would think also that um, not stiffening your neck while riding a bike would enhance your your balance mechanism too, your ability to keep yourself and the bike in balance. Absolutely. But when normally when they're on the road, those disturbances in balance aren't too apparent to them. But if you put them on a set of rollers, they immediately get an experience of how pulling their head back throws the whole thing off balance because the bike wobbles on the rollers on the road they compensate in other ways of course by stiffening in the legs or the back or wherever right so 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 when you particularly i guess when you're working with a competitive uh cyclist there are a whole series of trade-offs here it's it's a little more complicated than i originally suggested with with competitive cyclists it's a it's a much greater challenge because um, they they don't want changes to their riding position or to the configuration of their bike particularly. What they their motivation is more power and and more speed. So you have to approach them from the point of view of efficiency. If you can talk to them about improved efficiency, so uh, greater power output for for less expenditure, then they'll really start to pay attention. But if you start coming at them from the angle that their bike is wrong and that they've got they've got to change their bike, then you know they're going to switch off straight away. But as soon as you talk about efficiency, their ears prick up and they'll they'll pay attention. Mm-hmm. And when you're when you're initially working with someone on on tilting their head back without strain, um, do you? Do you go into a little body mapping about how where exactly your head does move in, in, in relation yes, to mean, your neck? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, if if um, if they're non Alexander person, as it were, or if they don't have a good idea about exactly how the the head relates to the top of the spine, then definitely yes, I'll give them some simple um, information about that. Because, I mean, in my own teaching experience, I, I, I don't remember ever working specifically with a cyclist on their cycling, but um, most people, I'm sure you found, have very distorted idea of where their head rests on top of their spine, where, where the movement takes place from, and even things like where the center of gravity of their head is in relation to their spine. Absolutely, absolutely, and of course, and of course, the weight of the head and all, all of that. How much it weighs, even. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. No, I mean, you you even get uh, people you might think of as medical professionals who who seem to have very little idea about it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they may know the anatomy from a book, but often they have not sort of translate 
translated mm-hmm. that over to their own to their own bodies. Um, what, what, are there any, any? Excuse me. Are there any other issues around working with cyclists, or any other things that are particularly pertinent to cyclists? Well, I think the 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 main thing that I try to work with because I don't always have a huge number of lessons with them or a greater amount of time, is I try to focus on the three main areas, which is the head, uh, the hand, well, the three points of contact with the bike, the feet, the seat bones, and the hands, mm-hmm. and, and then the head. So if I, can, if I can get them thinking about those four, uh, those three points of contact and the head, I'm, I'm definitely winning. And I think you know, <laughs> I will feel like I've done a pretty good job. Right. And could you elaborate a little on those first three points of contact? What is it that you would tell a cyclist about those three? Well, um, in general, seat bones probably are the most important from the Alexander point of view because they are your your main point of contact with the bike. And the the problem with cycling is that because there's so much pushing with the feet, you're always tending to lift the seat bones off the saddle. So getting a cyclist to release their weight through the seat bones and into the saddle away from the head uh, is critical to them being able to get more release in the legs, less stiffening, less contraction and long, longer muscle and therefore more power. Oh, so I, I hadn't thought of that. So you're you're saying that the the tendency is going to be to lift off the seat a little bit to mm-hmm. get a a, um, a more powerful push down on the pedals. Yes, as, as cyclists push with the pedals and inevitably stiffen in the legs, uh, the tendency is that the seat bones lift off the saddle. And, and would you say that what they're getting is when they do that, they're getting perhaps a feeling that they're putting more pressure on the uh, pedals but in fact that may not be accurate i i think undoubtedly yeah i think you know hmm. we know we know that uh, you can get a very strong feeling that you're exerting more power and being more efficient um but the reality is is often the opposite and as when you can start to get them to have an experience of releasing their weight into the saddle suddenly the whole uh, experience of what happens in the legs changes but they also get the experience of not losing any speed or power um and then 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 they're generally convinced Mm-hmm. So you have to show them something that's almost measurable then, right? Like the speed uh, covering a certain distance and a little bit faster time with that uh, with that new thought of yours. I think I think they have to um, they have to get a measurable experience for themselves when they're out cycling that they're not you know losing time or speed or power. That that's the main thing. Uh, for competitive cyclists, certainly. Um, for for less competitive cyclists, what they tend to get is a, an experience of cycling being more enjoyable, mm-hmm. co- more comfortable, less stressful, and perhaps less painful as well for some for some people. Right. And and how about the point of contact of uh, cyclists' hands on the handlebars? What would you tell people about that? I think the the first thing I try to get across is that they don't need to grip too much very often 
they really grip the handlebars um, and they often have too much weight on the hands again because they're pitched a long way forwards so they tend to be there tends to be too much of their body weight going through the hands um, so I see a lot of cyclists who have wrist problems wrist pain or pins and needles in the in the lower arms numbness in the hands that sort of thing and that's primarily to do with too much weight on the hands and too much gripping so getting them to 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 not grip so much essentially uh, to lengthen the fingers rather than wrapping them around the bars so that that gripping tendency seems to me to be pretty analogous to a car driver's gripping the steering wheel absolutely but yeah. the added uh, i would also think that um if you rise off the seat of your bike as you described earlier then a lot more weight is going to come through your hands onto the handlebar. Certainly some more. De- yeah. Definitely some more weight. I mean, there are situations where you, where you, um, you would naturally come up out, off the saddle, cycling uphill, for instance. Um, you'll very often stand on the pedals, and then you'll have to use the, the handlebars a bit more. But again, you, you, all of that can be done without excess gripping and tightening as you say very like people over gripping and tightening on the steering wheel of the car right or or holding a book or anything you know when when people hold anything in their hands there's a tendency to over grip exactly yeah is is there anything else that you would want to tell cyclists about the alexander technique and how it might help them um i think the thing that i always try to get across is that cycling is the ultimate alexander experience how so well because the pace of it is uh perfect for you you know if you're not taking it too fast it's perfect uh, pace for you to be able to to maintain conscious awareness and control while also being involved in an activity which which if it's done well it has very little risk of injury unless you fall off so it's the perfect, um, for me anyway, it's the perfect activity to apply all of our Alexander thinking. And I, I would think, I mean, for me, it would be walking. But I could see if you were a cyclist, that would definitely be, uh, that would be a fantastic uh, opportunity to explore Alexander's ideas. I agree. I think, I think walking is a, you know, it's a universal experience walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't ride a horse. Alexander probably would have said horse riding was the ultimate experience. He would have, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure he ever rode a bike, but if if he had, I think he would have. I think he would have uh, appreciated it definitely. Well, I think in general, any activity that you do fairly regularly, and if it, if it's a, a kind of a repetitive activity like cycling or walking, in my case, swimming also is a wonderful uh, yeah. venue for exploring Alexander's ideas. Any activity like that um, is a perfect a perfect way to uh, perfect framework within which to explore. Alexander's ideas uh, there's no there's not much of a risk of anything bad happening um and you have that repetitive aspect to it that really lends itself to experimenting with 
shifting your thought process and see what happens kind of thing. Absolutely. I'm not a great swimmer, so I'm I'm very biased towards cycling. I get well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think this might be a good, unless there's anything else you want to add, um, this might be a good place to bring our conversation to a close. Sure, no, I think that's that's we, great. Uh, well, my, my guest today has been Joe Siaby, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Burford, Oxfordshire. I always have trouble with that, Oxfordshire. <laughs> and if he also teaches in London uh, one day a week, he teaches in Oxford um, regularly. Uh, if anything that we've been talking about uh, interests you and you live in, in that area, we'll put a, a link to Joe's website by the interview. And we'll also put a link to uh, a site where you could find a teacher anywhere else in the world. Joe, thank you so much for being on the show today. Great pleasure. Thanks very much, Robert.